You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Jesus, we just come to you this morning and we ask that you would speak to us as your people. We believe that your word is holy and special, and I just pray that you would just meet with us in this moment. I pray that as we open your word that we would have hearts that are ready to receive. And Lord, just that your spirit would speak through me and that uh, people would feel what you want them to feel in this moment, Lord, whether that's comfort or an encouragement or a correction, Lord, and and that, that loving Father approach. Uh, Jesus, I just pray that you would meet with us and that you would speak to us in your name. Amen. So Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35, feel free to read along with me as I read out loud to you. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David calls him, calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. We all know men with flowing robes, right? Uh, And be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering was put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything Put in everything, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I like it. All right. So what's going on in this chapter and what's interesting about this section is we've seen how Jesus has been constantly criticized and challenged by these religious leaders. And they've been coming against Jesus, trying to bring all sorts of issues and all sorts of... uh, judgments against him. They've tried to create problems between him and the religious community, trying to make him look like what he was teaching wasn't actually in line and in step with the Jewish customs of the day. And then we also see that he was challenged in the way of trying to create problems between him and Rome, because if there's problems between him and Rome, he's obviously going to get killed. And then lastly, we see that there, another goal that they have is to just make it so Jesus is no longer as popular among the people. Because at this point, everybody has heard about Jesus. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen all of these wonderful things. But they're wrestling in this moment. Because the, or the religious leaders are wrestling in this moment because they feel that their, their power and their influence is slowly slipping away you know it's it's all part of that process and so 
what we see in this moment is Jesus is beginning to respond. He's like, you asked me a few questions. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. And so he's there. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple, which at that moment, it would have been the holiest and most special place that you could be. He was standing in a holy place preaching and teaching and doing, doing ministry among Israel's most devout followers in this moment. It's, a su- it's very, ar- you could argue very confidently that these were very highly devoted men of faith that Jesus would have been talking in front of. And the kinds of people that he was bringing these charges against. So Jesus starts off and he, he, does, he goes through three different things in this. And if you have your... You know, if your Bible's set up like mine, it'll have little subheadings. Those aren't, you know, actually part of the Bible, but uh, they're just there to help us to know kind of what's going on. But there is, there's three sections where we see Jesus kind of addressing three different issues. And really the heart that I have for this morning is to show us that things are not always what they seem. Because for the Jews in this moment that are sitting there, they would be looking at Jesus correcting these religious leaders and it would have been taboo and offensive and aggressive and wouldn't have been widely respected. People would have lost their minds about it. But we see that there's a very different response. And so Jesus comes up and he starts and he challenges them and he's saying, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Well, it was a common belief at that time and in that period that David or the Messiah, God's, you know, God's son would come through the lineage of King David from all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is super funny because that's actually what the kids are learning about in their classroom this week. So if you have kids and they're in the, the bigs class, that's what they're learning about today. Where God promises while David is preparing to build the temple and wanting to build the temple, God tells him, no, I don't want you to do it. Your son's going to do it. But the, the, the throne will never leave your family. I will establish it forever. You know, and then in Jeremiah, it talks about how out of the root of Jesse, a righteous branch will come out. Jesse was David's father. And so there's prophecy after prophecy pointing to this. And what Jesus is saying in this moment, he's saying, why are you calling, why are you saying that the Messiah needs to come through the lineage of David? Jesus knew these scriptures. He's not confused at what's going on. He knows what the reality is. But then he goes a step further and he says, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And I'll just be honest. I want you to try to stick in there with me for this part because... There's a lot of like, there's a lot going on in this passage in this moment. And I'll try to make it as brief as I can and as simple as I can. What, da- what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, David said these words back in Psalm 110. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you actually turn in your Bible back to Psalm 110, that first Lord, you'll see that it's all capitals. And whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's a, a way to show us as we live today in 2024 that the old and proper word for God, Yahweh, is what was actually in that place. And so what's being spoken in this moment is it's saying 
God is speaking to his Messiah, hey, I'm going to put your, all the enemies under your feet. And you're going to sit at my right hand until I do that. But they would also read this psalm at every coronation for a new king. So after David and Solomon, and as the list goes on, every time this would come, they would read this psalm. And that was kind of the, the emphasis was like, you're a king and you're ruling and you're reigning and you're going to put every enemy under your feet and you're going to rule and reign in this way. And so there's this powerful moment, what Jesus is pointing to. And after the monarchy had passed, you know, because obviously there's not a monarchy in Israel at this point. They're under the thumb of Rome and they don't really have any power. They're subjects rather than being their own nation, truly. What's going on in this moment is Jesus is challenging a cultural norm. Because then he continues in verse 37, he says, David himself calls him Lord. How then can we, he be called? Can he be his son? Because in ancient Israel, it was taboo and it was offensive for the older to praise the younger. There was, it was a very much an honor-shame culture. And the whole point was to lift up those that were elders and those that were older. It was like the exact opposite of, of the culture of today, where we're like, kind of like, you know, we see a lot of older people being like, kind of pushed to the side. We're like, yeah, that's great. We love you, but you're going like, to kind of hang out over here. That's not our heart, but we do see that in our culture, if we're all honest. We very much are a first half of life culture in the United States. And so Jesus is challenging their cultural norms because he's saying, how can David submit himself to his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson? That doesn't make sense in your culture. And what Jesus was trying to point out is, hey, this way that you're living, you think it makes sense and you think it's good, but there's actually a root in here that's not actually good and biblical and solid. And so Jesus is challenging the way that they're thinking. And what he's saying is, hey, your ideas might not all be right. And you need to kind of come back to that. And then he continues on and he's, as he's teaching, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law because they walk around in flowing robes. So he's pointing out what these men look like. They would walk about with these long, ornate robes. I always just naturally think of like Catholic priests and different things like that with all the fancy robes, which I got nothing against the Catholics or any pastors that, that still rock the robes, just so I'm clear. Um, but there's the, they would wear these robes, and what actually was it's, Jesus is pointing out here is these men would dress themselves in the finest linens and clothing of the day. They were focused on fashion, and they were focused on looking really good as they were in the marketplace, to the point that when they entered the marketplace, they expected people to respond to them. Oh, it's brother so-and-so, and oh, man, it's Rabbi, you know, Shemaiah, you know, all these different names and things. But so they would step into this place and what Jesus is challenging in this moment is he's saying these men have come in and they've chosen the most important seats in the synagogues. They've chosen the, the places of honor at the banquets. They are the people that are devouring the houses of widows to make and then they end up making these super long fancy prayers as they're before everyone. Jesus is challenging who these men are. And how they carried themselves. 
And so I read this passage, and honestly, this is always one that kind of pops up for me when I'm reading it, because they didn't have pastors in Jesus' day, but you know they had the religious law, teachers of the law and the scribes. But they did essentially the same job, for the most part, that pastors do. They, would, they were expected to bring God's word to his people and to help them find the right way to walk in life. To walk alongside them and to support them and to love them. As God the Father does. But we don't see that as the character of these men. Instead, we see men that are focused on surrounding themselves with these immense comforts and passions and enjoyment in their current state. You know, walking in the, the fanciest of clothes. And I just always go back to that Instagram account, which I'm sure some of you have seen, where it's these preachers and sneakers, where these guys are wearing these absolutely ridiculously expensive clothes. If you want to like heart, feel sad in your soul, it's a great, great resource. Uh, the expectation in this moment is that they can stand in a place of honor and they can walk into a room and everybody will respond that's what's expected in this moment and Jesus is challenging these things he's saying this isn't the people you want to be around beware of them be afraid of them they are not going to lead you into a, in the truest most righteous way and it's interesting i you know i obviously pastor a small church and I struggle with the megachurch, if I'm being 100% honest and transparent in this moment. And one of the reasons I really struggle with that model of church is because I don't believe it's good for the church. I don't believe it's good for people. Because church then just simply becomes this place where you come in, you sing some songs, you drop your kids off, they do some coloring sheets, and then you roll out and you never engage with anybody there. Like my wife and I, when we landed in Boise, we attended a mega church and we have a good relationship with the pastor there uh, for you know a couple of months. And I actually served on their setup team while I was planting our church. And so there's nothing against the people that, that do that model. And I think you know it'd be a real challenge to, to live in that model. But I, tr I question the validity of what we're doing with the people that we're pastoring in that moment. Are we creating a culture of consumerism where church just simply is, hey, it's one more thing that we come in and we just get something and then we bounce out and we leave. And I believe God shows up in those churches and God does do work in those churches. But I do question how much work is able to be done in those moments. Because is it just me coming into a room and being stirred emotionally and responding emotionally and then leaving unchanged? Am I really becoming like Jesus? Am I really being with Jesus and becoming like him and then growing to do the things he did? Or is there this regulator that's kind of put on my spiritual development and my growth in that moment? Because I do, I believe church is not about the fancy things that we have. Wearing the fanciest clothes or do, having the best music or the coolest programs. But I believe church is about a genuine, authentic people coming together to worship and to know Jesus 
in a more intimate way. And for us to grow into a community where we're not just, hey, you go to my church. But to grow into a place where we're bringing meals to one another and we're showing up when people are sick and we're helping people out when their children are in the hospital, which I'm super thankful that that is the testimony of our church. Is that we show up and we pray for those that are sick and that need support and we help them in practical and real ways. And so Jesus gives us this warning, watch out for these men. Be aware of these men. And like I said, I take a sober approach to this because I think it's easy for us all to fall into this. Specifically me. And he talks about how those who teach will be judged and punished more severely. Which is always a very comforting thing to read. (laughs) And so Jesus challenges their ideas. He's challenging the way that they're operating and the way that they're doing ministry and their character and all these aspects. And then there's this last section, and this is the one we really like. Where Jesus sits down, you know, he sits down opposite of the, the, basically the tithe box. That's that's really what's going on in this moment. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to post up right here and we're going to do some people watching. Which if you're going to do people watching, it's a really interesting place to be like, you know what, I'm just going to post up right next to where people give and just kind of watch. And so it's interesting in this moment because Jesus is sitting there and he's sitting with his disciples and they're watching people give their tithes and offerings. And what's interesting in their day, we, theirs wasn't a wood box with some fancy script on it and they could slide, slide a piece of paper inside and then it's just gone. You know, it doesn't make any noise. It's pretty quiet. Theirs were these big metal shoots that they would have and they would actually, all they could tithe with were coins. And so as you can imagine, when people would come in and tithe, it was extremely loud. And so if the, more, the more wealthy you were, the louder it was. And as I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking back to, how, has anybody ever gone to Coinstar and actually done one of those machines? They're awful, right? They're, they're amazing because you don't have to sit there and roll the coins and they only take like 10% or whatever it is. And you can get your money out. But I, every time I go to Coinstar, I'm always leaving and I'm like, why on earth did I do this? Because they're always at the front of the store and you walk up and I always, I always like wait like two years before I do it. So I've got like all these jars of money and I roll up and I'm pouring them in the little metal tray. And then you're banging this metal tray up and down so it's like trying to go in. And it's just the loudest thing on the earth. Like it feels like everybody in the store is like, hey, can you just please knock that off? That's what's going on in this moment. Like people are flooding money into this metal box and it's just making all this noise. And so Jesus is watching. He's watching as people that have a lot of money, some that have a little bit of money. And he's watching as they're pouring in this amount. But then Jesus calls the disciples over to him in this moment where they're watching. And he's like, watch this. And a poor widow comes up and she has two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And he's like, hey, watch this. This is going to be amazing. And he watches as she puts her two in. And I just picture Jesus being like, did you hear it? Did you hear those two coins? That's amazing. He says, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Put in everything, 
where she put in everything, all she had to live on. If I'm this widow, if I'm honest, if I'm rolling in and I'm going to give my offering and I only have two pennies, I'm probably keeping those two pennies because I probably need them, right? You know, maybe if I'm feeling really generous and really stirred in the moment, I'm like, all right, you can have one. But I still want one left. And it, what Jesus is pointing out in this moment is it's not about the actual dollar amount. It's not about the per- percentage. It's not about all these things that a lot of pastors want to make this passage about. Because I don't actually believe it's just about the money. And I don't really like talking about money either. So what he's talking about is the, the status of this woman's heart, where she's currently at in this moment. Because Jesus is calling his disciples and he's saying, come and see this. This woman has literally given everything she has in this moment. And you know what I think is crazy about this story? Jesus doesn't do like this like flip miracle where he's like, you did it right. Here's a hundred bucks. Like... He just simply lets her walk away, it seems like, in the story. But he's inspired and blessed and honored by her in this moment. And I think the thing that I want us to to question in this moment, as Jesus is challenging our ideas about who God is, Because that's what he was really after in the beginning. Why do you say this about the Messiah? Do you really know? And the Messiah was standing right in front of them and they missed it. The promised one who had come to save the world they had missed. And then he's challenging the ways that they are living and the ways that they're operating. Because they were ultimately all about themselves and all about their comforts and getting what they wanted. And taking care of themselves. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sure I'm not the only person that can relate to that. That feeling. Like, no, this is mine. Like, I deserve this. This is for me. And then that last part where Jesus is not just speaking on the negatives, but putting up a positive for us. Where he's saying, man, look at this widow who gave everything she had. Like I said, I don't think that's necessarily our money. Maybe that's our time. Maybe that's, maybe that's our, our courage, being willing to share our faith with a friend, a coworker, one of our kids' friends at school. You know, or, yeah, one of our kids' friends' parents at school. You can share it with their, your friends' kid, or kids' friends too. But you know, I, what if that's what God's calling us to? If He's calling us to step in and to lean in a little more, because what was happening was. This woman was pressing in. She had nothing left. She had no support system. She's a widow, so she's destitute. There's no one to take care of her, most likely. She has no money, and she's poor, and so she's literally just saying, God, all I have, I'm just going to give it to you. Every piece of me. And so I would ask, what is it in us that's holding us back from giving ourselves to the Lord this morning, to giving yourself to Jesus? Is it a wound? You've got some negative church experiences and some things that you've experienced throughout your story, which 
I've got my own stories as well. But even in my own church woundings and church hurts, I have chosen to not allow the wounds of a friend to ruin my view of the church and my view of Jesus' bride. I still believe in the church. Maybe what's keeping you from Jesus is a set of ideas. You have this idea in your mind of what God should be like and what you expect him to be like. And maybe it's just not reality. Maybe you, you can go to either the ultra-religious and the, you know, we think of like the religious cults where God is this angry and frustrated and he looks at us not with love and compassion and a desire for relationship, but more of an attitude of, man, I'm frustrated with you and I'm annoyed by you and I've done all these things for you and you just keep blowing it. That's not who Jesus is. And on the other side of the coin, we also know that Jesus is not like our college roommate who is just sitting there like cheering us on as we're doing a keg stand. Like, yep, you just keep doing what you're doing, man. I love you. <laughs> but he's somewhere in the middle, right? Because if he really is God and he really loves us, like I love my children. I have Wonderful plans for their lives. <laughs> that was a joke, but <laughs> I do have wonderful plans for their lives, but we'll see how it turn out. But like, I love my children, so I, they have boundaries, right? I don't let my kids stay up till three in the morning. I don't let them watch like 12 hours of TV a day because after one hour of TV today, or a day, they're like rabbit animals. Um, you know, like we, we work on things with them. We try to create these moments to see them flourish. And so, and it's the same way with God. God comes to us and Jesus has come to us and he said, I have come to give you life. Not a sucky life, not a depressed life, not a life that's just regulated to this really boring and miserable place, but a, a full life. A life where you will experience joy that is unexplainable you will face trouble but you're going to face trouble anyway but the life that I have I want to give you to the full so that your joy can be full and so what keeps us from coming to him is it our ideas is it our you know, thoughts about who he is is it our sin is there a secret sin that we're holding deep in our souls that we know we need to bring out into the light to allow Jesus to touch and to heal and to just have that place? Or are we going to continue on like those religious leaders that are just like, everything's great. I look awesome. Things are good. I read my Bible. I pray every day. I do the prayer of examine at night. You know, I do all these things. Or will we come to the place where we will lean in and give all of ourselves to Jesus? When we realize that all we have is really Him. And that His love is worth all of it. And so, as I prepare to close this morning, 
I want to simply invite you to, I put cards on, on the chairs around you guys. You guys are probably like, why in the world is there a card here? Why is there a pen only every other chair? Because I don't have enough pens to put them on every chair. Small church problems. But um, I'm going to encourage you to do something that may be a little bit uncomfortable. And as we, I'm going to play a song, and it's a song we didn't sing earlier. But it's a song that we sing pretty regularly here. And so if you want to jump in and sing along, you feel free to. Uh, But as you're holding this card and before we come up to the table, because I'm going to open the table for us to come and receive communion, to grab the bread and the cup, which are the picture of Jesus. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he said, take the bread and take the cup and eat and drink in remembrance of me, that remembering of what I will do for you, representing his death and his resurrection for us, his blood being poured out for us, and his body being broken for us. But before you come to the table, I want to give you a moment to pause and to reflect with this piece of paper and with this pen and to simply walk into the practice of confession. You're like, Mike, we're not Catholic. I know, but I still believe in the, the, the practice of confession. And I simply want you to just write where you're at. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it is a, a confession of sin. Maybe it's confessing where you're at. If there's something that's holding you up and that, that's keeping you from coming to know Jesus. Because maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's not your ideas. Maybe it's just the weights that you carry in your life and the way that we chase after the comforts that we want. I know I'm guilty of those things as well. And so as you fill those out and write those down, I'm going to open it up where you guys, if you feel comfortable, there's no pressure. You can just stick it in your pocket if that feels better. But you can come and lay it, at the, lay it down on the table as, we, as you come to the table as an offering to Jesus, bringing all that you have to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't look at us in the areas where we have doubts and struggles and frustrations and grievances and and these moments where we're missing things and sin and issues. He doesn't look at us and say, man, figure it out. But instead he looks at us and he says, come. Won't you just come? And I always picture him with a smile on his face. Not a look of anger or disgust or frustration, but a look of a smile with generously saying, I'll take that from you and I'll take that for you. And so may as you come and you set those cards on the table, if that's what you feel comfortable doing, may it be an act of faith this morning. May it be a moment where you are putting your body through the practice of a spiritual thing of worship. Because you are more than a mind, you are more than a spirit, you are more than a soul. You are all of these things together. And so our desire as a church is that we would connect with each aspect of that as we worship the Lord. And so I'm going to pray and and I'll sing a song and feel free to respond however you feel whatever feels best for you. And so, Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that you love us and that you want to speak to us.
And God, I just pray that wherever we're at this morning, that we would bring ourselves to you. And that we would sense your presence and that we would sense your leading. Um, And God, so I just pray for courage. I pray that we would be able to, to engage in this exercise. And Lord, if there's something you're stirring in each of our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would respond rightly to you. That we would know what you it is you are wanting to do in our hearts and in our minds. So we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Boise Community Church. To find more resources and information about Boise Community Church, or to give to the mission of Boise Community Church, please visit us online at boisecommunitychurch.org. If you were encouraged by today's podcast, Please rate and review it so more people can discover the hope and joy of Jesus' love.